all that money, when you get that 10 to one leverage and put that million dollars in the bank and they can create it out of nothing, the interest that they loaded at doesn't exist, Mm-mm. which means they continually have to inflate the money supply or die. And that's why they're moving to, as I said earlier, a digital back or not, it's unbacked. I don't think gold and silver are going to play a role in the official digital currencies uh, that are put into us or given to us by the banking system. It could be wrong. They might be forced to do it to regain trust. I don't know at this point, but I know what they plan. And their plan right now stands to have an unbacked, non-secured digital system run by them only where every transaction that you do is cashless and everything is traced, tracked, and taxed. There's nothing outside of that purview. And it's their complete dream to have absolute total control over all of us peons uh, (laughs) have to submit ourselves uh, under their conditions. And this is where the cryptos can play a substantive role but I've also written about that in the Morgan Report, and I have my own view on it. With no limitations, what does your perfect day look like? What if it's possible to live like that every day? Would you wake up after 9am, have perfect health, maybe fire your boss, have the money and freedom to do what you love most? The world is your oyster. Where would you be? Who would you be with? The possibilities are endless. Whether you believe it's possible for you or not, you can make more, work less, and live free. Welcome to Freedom Hack Radio, where entrepreneur, best-selling author, world traveler, and adventurer, Bryce Robertson and special guests crack the code on money, health, relationships, spirituality, and having fun doing what you love most. Be inspired to create your own self-designed freedom lifestyle. G'day and welcome to Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. And today, my friends, we have a very special guest, Mr. David Morgan. And for those of you who don't know who David Morgan is, when you think about silver investing or precious metals or precious metals mining stocks, David Morgan and the Morgan Report is literally the number one analysis. So super, super honored to have him with us today to talk about the amazing opportunity that lays before us in the precious metals industry. You know, we're probably looking at around about three years of of bull market in silver, and we're going to really break down what this opportunity is, why this opportunity exists, how you can get involved, and what that would look like. So really, really exciting episode today. And we're literally learning from the industry leader and industry expert, David Morgan from the Morgan Report. So for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, this is Freedom Hack Radio, where we live by the freedom trinity of financial, time, and location freedom. We also live in fulfillment by maintaining balance and growing with financial wealth, health, relationships, spirituality, and having fun. So if you're looking to grow in any of these areas, or if you want to live in the freedom trinity of financial time and location freedom, do yourself a solid and subscribe to this YouTube channel right now, or subscribe to this because it's on your favorite podcast platform as well. So without any further ado, super excited to introduce Mr. David Morgan as we dissect this amazing silver investing opportunity that lays before us. Welcome back to another episode of Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. And today, my friends, we have an ultra special guest, Mr. David Morgan. David Morgan is a widely recognized analyst in the precious metals industry and consults for hedge funds, high net worth investors, mining companies, depositories, and bullion dealers. He is the publisher of The Morgan Report, a world-class publication designed to help you build and secure your wealth. He is the author of The Silver Manifesto and a featured speaker at investment conferences all over the world. And it's an absolute pleasure to have you here with us today. Welcome to Freedom Hack Radio, David. Bryce, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Excellent. Excellent, mate. Well, one place I'd really love to start at. I'm super curious with all the chaos that's going on in the world right now. What's given you the most gratitude today, mate? Oh, very good question. You know, I signed and have from the beginning of the Morgan Report with this 
statement. Wishing you health above wealth, comma, wisdom beyond knowledge, David Morgan. So I think I'd start with that, Bryce. It sort of summarizes my overall take, and I'm most grateful the idea that those that have their health are richer than any kings definitely rings true for me. So I think I would start with that. I'm grateful for good health. Beautiful, beautiful, super important right now. Uh, the healthier we are, the better we can go out there and make money too. So, um, you know, I started reading your books and I read Get the Skinny on Silver. And when I read this book, I it, it cracked open the code to me that not only are people out there investing in, sil- in silver for investments, uh, people, the, the technology side of things is actually even larger than the silver investment side of things. And it also ap- opened me up to the fact that not only could we potentially, you know, 5X or 10X in our physical silver investments if we're investing and you know cashing out at the top of the market uh, with the current bull run but we could also potentially 15x or 30x on our you know by getting involved in the right mining stocks and that got me really really amped I joined the Morgan Report and I came on to Second Chance as well. And, you know, I read this book, Second Chance, and you really take a deep dive on this opportunity that literally lies directly in front of us. You know, we're on the precipice of, you know, potentially huge profits and what could be the biggest silver bull run in history. Can you please unpack for us the concept of Second Chance that you and David Smith wrote about in this book? Well, the primary focus was how many people actually don't make money or make the amount of money that they could. And we looked at several scenarios and methodologies that will protect you and make certain that you profit. The one thing that uh, we dislike the most is a round trip. Well, what's a round trip? A round trip is you buy a stock at five, it goes to 50, and you ride it all the way back down to five. That's called a round trip. Mm. Never do that. But people do do that. It might sound to someone that's not an investor, oh, that's ridiculous. No one would do that. No, it actually happens more often than you might expect. So that's kind of a summation of uh, the idea. And of course, as you have, having read the book, there's all kinds of little innuendos in there and some very interesting uh, ideas, the sacrifice fly that we might sell out in the silver market very near the high. But there might be this one last push and you make another, you know, 20, 30 percent who wants to give up that kind of return, especially when it's a matter of a few weeks, perhaps. And so we've really, in my estimation, obviously being part of one of the authors, uh, have tried to digest and simplify methodologies that would help any investor, not just a silver investor, but since silver and gold, but particularly silver is one of the most volatile asset classes you can ever participate in. It mm-hmm. takes a little foreknowledge. Bryce, one of my other favorite sayings is chance favors the prepared mind. So if you're prepared for the volatility ahead, you have a lot better chance of doing, a, let's say, a profitable trade, not get too greedy and go home a winner rather than try to anticipate every market move. <clears throat> Yeah. And that's actually something that really resonated with me when I was reading the book. And, you know, you almost spent a couple of chapters on, you know, don't get too greedy, make sure that you're getting out, you know, if you get out before the top, that's like fine. Cause like you said before, you don't want to come full circle. Um, And, and that, that really, really resonated with me. And that's, I think that's super huge for anybody getting involved in stocks period. Um, so what is this second chance? Why, why did you call the book second chance? And, and um, what really is this? Why is this opportunity of silver um, right in front of us? Well, David Smith worked for me for a number of years, and he saw what we did at the Morgan Report when silver broke free of the $19 level or the channel formation at 19 We went long and we went all the way up to 48. I called it near the top before, selling in the strengths, still some buyers, not too greedy. And he saw that leverage move from, you know, 19 to 48. I mean, that's a huge move, especially with leverage, even without it's huge. Mm -hmm. So he said there would be a second chance to participate in the silver market like that one. So that was the basis of second chance. So many people came in after that, some came in in 2011, post you know May, and watched it go to 30 and bounce around that level. And it looked like there was building a great base around 30, which is a pretty good price after hitting almost 50. 
And then I put out an alert to all of our members, our paid members, and said, 26 is key. It's bounced off at three times. The next time it will not. We're going mm-hmm. to see sub $26 silver. And I was right. I did get that out kind of in the nick of time. I'd love to have a crystal ball and get it out, you know, two months ahead, but I can only do what the market shows me. <clears throat> so we put that out and it was down, down, down and a few blips up. So belaboring the point, Bryce, we've got to look at the big, big picture. And the second chance is going to be, in my view, in the third leg, which in all of markets, real estate market, the tech bubble, the bond market, any market you want to talk about, the last leg up is the most powerful in price appreciation, but usually not that long in duration. Yeah. And, and like we're right there. We've we've got so many bubbles going on. It's like the everything bubble or the almost everything bubble right now. Um, You know, for people who need to understand how silver plays into this, when, when these bubbles pop, what happens with silver? Well, it's going to, in my view, a studied one at that, going to take silver to probably record highs, Uh, maybe not only in nominal terms, maybe in real terms. And that's because there aren't too many asset classes that are coveted when you have an unraveling of the of the currency markets, which is what we're facing and actually is taking place right now. That's why we hear so much about CBDC, central bank digital currencies. The banks already see what's happening. They know it. They knew it basically from uh, August 15, 1971, when Nixon closed the gold window. They knew that over time, there was a price to pay, and that is a failure of the system. So they have to make a new one and sell it to the general public to say, oh, that's you know, this one bad, that one good. Thank you, Mr. Banker, for helping us out. That's what they want. And so silver will react to what's going on in real time and gold as well. And you're going to see, I think, sort of a, a amount of buying that hasn't ever taken place before, especially with the communication system, the internet, social media, the ability to buy over the internet. You don't have to find a coin dealer in the next town and drive your car over with hard cash and put it on the counter and hope that what you got is the real silver, any of that. It's a click of a mouse. And then you have all the paper derivatives like the silver ETFs, which have been massive this year because Mm -hmm. you have People in the know, such as uh, Scott Meenard from uh, Guggenheim, our chief investment officer, that spoke at Davos. And when asked by Bloomberg, their financial guys, what was the go-to investment for all of 2020, he said silver. And the Bloomberg guy just kind of rocked back in his chair. It shocked him. He didn't expect that from Scott. And he says, silver? Well, why not gold? And Scott said, well, gold is fairly near its all-time high, but silver is off 60%. I see a lot more potential in silver. My words, not his exact words. That was the idea. And then the uh, commentator from Bloomberg Finance went on to say, well, do you think that it could do, in my words, not his, he's implying palladium, could it be exponential like the palladium market? And Scott said, possibly, you know, there could. So I think that's what we're facing, Bryce. We're facing a situation on this second chance uh, that is greater than most people expect. Now, a lot of your viewers are going to say, well, come on, David. You know, silver went from 12, which was intraday, and it's already hit 30. Why should I get in at 30? Well, believe me, if you get in at 30 and it goes to 300, you're going to be very happy. And right now, we're probably going to get in the low 20s, uh, test the uh, test the market and then come back up. But I'm looking for much higher prices. Where are they? Ask me. The answer, I don't know. What I do know is they're far higher than uh, they are right now. And again, nominal terms, $100 would be a nominal new high. But in real terms, if you use the metrics from 1980 for inflation, believe it or not, the amount of money that's been printed would take silver to $600 an ounce in today's fiat terms to be equal to the $50 an ounce in 1980. That is mind boggling. And that's with the time value of money. And so like how much, how much quantitative easing has taken part this year? Well, that uh, this year, I think we've printed in the last like month more money than it's taken in, uh, in, I forget the, the figure. I mean, the last few months we've added about 30% 
to the money supply. I mean, this is like uh, Zimbabwe type of situations. I mean, it's not quite as bad as Zimbabwe, but the markets are waking up to that. And silver has proven in the past, and I believe it'll prove again to be the best asset class you can participate in in a highly inflationary environment. Yeah, and this is this is something I'm trying to drive home with uh, a lot of people out there who don't understand the economy and don't understand the financial markets, but maybe investing. See, I write for bigger pockets, so I write to real estate investors, but not many of them actually understand the macro economy. And so I think it's so imp- just a concept of quantitative easing, and then when you when you back that with fractional reserve lending, it just that concept blows my mind that the Federal Reserve can create create. Our of thin air digits that that we call money or currency. And then that can exchange from balance sheet to balance sheet to balance sheet. And then it ends up with a bank who can then leverage it. Let's say they printed a million dollars. They can leverage that million dollars. Now they can originate $10 million of loans with interest and none of that money exists. So if, if there was a situation where all the loans were to be called due in America here, like there's no way these things can be paid off. It's just going to be absolute mayhem. So we're, we're absolutely just setting ourselves up for disaster. And, and you've been studying this for 40 years. So you know this to be fact, but, but um, you know, I really want to get this word out there because there's so many people right now that don't understand this. And it's just, it, it's, there's so much manipulation going on. It's mind boggling. Bryce, what a great summary. And I'll just like to interject if I could be so bold that uh, my good friend, Mike Maloney, who started goldsilver.com, does a series called Hidden Secrets of Money. Yeah. And it's a seven, six, seven or eight-part series. It's taken a few years to put the whole thing together, and you summarize it very well in what you just said. But when Mike and I met, at the, we'd known each other for some time, but we were at the Yukon uh, Gold Rush 21, and he asked me out to breakfast. We talked. He said he wanted to start you know, a key bullion business. In fact, I think he might have indicated he wanted to be like the – the best one, and it's certainly one of the best. And he was writing a letter to Robert Kiyosaki on the flight home. And as anyone knows that follows Rich Dad Poor Dad, Robert's well known as a real estate investor. Yeah. And when Mike started on the uh, on that speaking circuit with Robert, <clears throat> what people learned as real estate investors was what real money means and what you just outlined. And Mike couldn't get off the stage. I mean, they had yeah. these real estate investors just flooding them with questions. So he actually helped a lot of people in the real estate market, investors, uh, weather the storm of the 2008 uh, crisis that took place. And uh, of course, now we're in a different paradigm. But uh, I think a lot of real estate investors have got to learn, and I'm going to be rather crude about this, but all we- I wrote an article years ago about wealth, mm-hmm. and all wealth comes from the land. It's either the land growing a crop, Mm. or improved land like a warehouse or real estate or apartment building, or mm. it's in the ground, metals, mm. minerals, oil. Yep. So and we're in a right. shift now, I believe, where we're going from land above ground wealth to land below ground wealth, meaning I'm not anti-real estate. There's been more fortunes made in real estate. I will stand here and make certain that I understand that fact and all of our viewers understand that I know that. It's just that markets ebb and flow. There's a mm-hmm. time to reap and a time to sow. And mm-hmm. right now, the time to reap is take those some of those profits in real estate and consider putting them, let's say, in the ground rather than on the ground. Yeah, and I'm with you on that one because you know, as a real estate investor myself, there's so many unpredictable things that they're just changing the landscape of investing. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with property taxes. We don't know what's going to happen with capital gains taxes. There's so many things that are happening right now. The Great Migration. We can't look back at 2008 as real estate investors right. and expect that we're going to do the same things again. So, with these manipulations that are happening, do you find that um, does that make great challenges for you to predict the future outcomes? Um, or, or is it just, you know, things have been manipulated the whole time. And so it doesn't really change things for you. A uh, tough one to answer. I mean, a lot of my peers use it as, I wouldn't say an excuse because it's a fact, but let's say they rely on that too often. Well, I made an error, but the markets are manipulated. Therefore I can't be held accountable. Mm. I hold myself accountable, manipulated or not. My general statement, it pretty much is still true, is that um, 
the overall trend can't be manipulated, but within the overall trend, certainly it could be managed. And the silver market probably as much as any market that I know of, and I look at all the markets, I study hard in the metals, but I look at all markets, has been probably pounded more than anything else outside of probably the main market, which is what? Money. Mm-hmm. Money's the main market. It's the bond market. It's the debt market that you, Bryce, did such an eloquent job explaining very succinctly. And if you could control the price of money, because money is a commodity like potatoes, it's how much you're going to borrow to buy that real estate. If you could control the price of money, then you could control anything. And for a long time in my youth, when I was near your age, the what we call bond vigilantes would take care of real true interest rates determined by the marketplace. But that's gone away a long, long time ago. We've been under what's called financial repression, which means that the banks basically dictate what the interest rate will be. And this is not free market and it doesn't give us a true value of money. If you think about it, if the true value of money is zero interest rate, that tells you that it's worthless. Because if you have something that's worth zero in the future, it's worth zero now. Now, I know that's a bold statement, and I'm only doing it to get people to wake up, smell the coffee, and think this thing through. But if you're guaranteed to get less money at the end of 10 years than you have now, and the money's depreciated on a daily basis, is it worth less and worth less? And when is it worthless? And once that idea starts to go into the bond market, look out. That's the keys of the kingdom. That's where the system is wrong, or let me say, well, it's developed wrong. I mean, as you said, and to repeat, because it needs to be, all that money, when you get that 10 to 1 leverage and put that million dollars in the bank and they can create it out of nothing, the interest that they loaded at doesn't exist, Mm-mm. which means they continually have to inflate the money supply or die. And that's why they're moving to, as I said earlier, a digital back, or not, it's unbacked. I don't think gold and silver are going to play a role in the official digital currencies uh, that are put into us or given to us by the banking system. It could be wrong. They might be forced to do it to regain trust. I don't know at this point, but I know what they plan. And their plan right now stands to have an unbacked, non-secured digital system run by them only where every transaction that you do is cashless and everything is traced tracked and taxed. There's nothing outside of that purview. And it's their complete dream to have absolute total control over all of us peons uh, have to submit ourselves uh, under their conditions. And this is where the cryptos could play a substantive role. But I've also written about that in the Morgan Report, and I have my own view on it. Yeah. And I, and I want to dig into that in a second here. And, and are you actually referring to the Banking for All Act? Is that is that what you're referring to with the new digital currency or just as generalization, um, you know, the direction that they're trying to take thing to a digital wallet where the Federal Reserve is going to have all transactions go through them, whether you're a business or a person? Is that what you're kind of referring yeah, to? Yeah, I'm just doing it in a, in a general way. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, so on the, with the Morgan report, you know, you share your portfolio of mining stocks and you provide tons of deep research, but you also touch on crypto and energy and current events like food storages and things like that. So can you please give your two cents on each of these areas? And like, let's start with crypto. I think the main point I made, and I'm saying this is my opinion and that's, you know, what you pay me for. And of course I have a staff. I think they're going to let the, leave the cryptos alone for the most part. But when they do, and a, a central bank digital currency is not a cryptocurrency. It could be put on the blockchain and most likely will. But they're just going to do what it's already been accomplished for the most part. I mean, when you have a Visa debit card, you're in a digital format. You never touch any you know, physical pieces of paper. You just put your card into you know, the display. It zaps it and you, you made your payment but it'll go 100% that way. So my take is this. They'll say, oh, cryptos? Yeah, we have no problem with cryptos whatsoever. But if you don't have the Fed coin in the US or the whatever coin in Australia or wherever you are, you can't get a mortgage. You can't do that with Bitcoin, but you can do it with the Fed coin. Mm -hmm. You can't get a utility payment set up without the Fed coin. In other words, anything of a meaningful transaction to survive, be it groceries, a place to live, utilities, water hookup, 
that will have to be done on their digital currency. But if you want to go out and uh, you know spend your Bitcoin at a restaurant and a restaurateur accepts Bitcoin, no problem. So you can see the way I think, and I believe I'm correct, that they're just going to pretty much ignore the cryptocurrency world for being a one-off, something that's insignificant relative to the hardcore things you have to do. You can't be able to pay your registration on your mobile home or your uh, RV or your property tax or anything else with crypto. You're going to have to use their coin, their digital currency. That's the way I see it right now. Yeah. And, and then with that, you know, could they impose restrictions? Could it be like, well, you know, Bryce has been a bad boy and we don't actually want him leaving the area. So he can only maybe get gas from gas stations within 50 miles or something like this, too. I mean, when they have that kind of control, that kind of scares me a little bit. You know, how far well, can they take it? Well, thanks for bringing it up, Bryce, because I have listened to some of your previous interviews and I, I wanted to go there, but you brought it up. I think that's exactly where we're going, and that's good insight on your part. We're going to a social credit system, even though they're not going to call it that, that you've been a good boy or a bad boy, and you are outlining almost exactly what they have in mind. They're going to determine how high you could put your temperature in your house. They're going to determine how far you could travel. They're going to determine if you could travel. This is already taking place in China, and some of your viewers are probably well aware of these social credit scores. They'll just call it a credit score. Here, I doubt they'll use the word social, but it amounts to the same thing. So going long term and where I started from, the idea of financial freedom meant freedom. If mm -hmm. I had financial freedom, I could live where I want, travel where I want. If I wanted to overindulge in something and I had the money, I could. Uh, no one was going to restrict me. Now you could be a billionaire and, and live as a pauper due to their ability to control how much you could spend or if the transaction is approved or not very scary world we're entering. Yeah, yeah, it's mind boggling. And you know, you know, another sector that, you know, to be honest with me, it, it scares the crap out of me. And that's energy. Like I just, I don't see that there's a solution. I mean, what's, what's your two cents on energy? It doesn't even well, seem like these. Yeah, it's probably three cents and I get a lot of flack for it, but being a degree engineer and having an aeronautical engineering degree, which is equivalent to a mechanical engineering degree and maybe a bit above it because we do, you know, flow supersonic and subsonic flow and have to deal with shockwaves. But I won't tell you too much about my former background. The point is when I look at uh, the energy equation, there's a lot of people with a great heart and I'm pretty darn smart. And I'm not saying I'm an energy analyst, but I know how to think things through, especially from an engineering perspective. And an engineer is basically a physicist that does practical things with it. And believe me, I love physics. The point is simple. Solar is not gonna do it. Wind power is not gonna do it. Ocean power is not gonna do it. Geothermal, I haven't studied it enough to make a comment. Nukes, possibly if we do this thing, and I forget the gentleman's name, he's probably 26 now, but he's 16. If we did him in the right way, we have a possibility. But the idea is we're sunk. There's not enough energy return on investment to make this thing go green overnight or in the next year or 10 years under present technology. And I'm technological enough to know that technology may not save us. Yeah. There's this sort of idea out there that, oh, te well, it's technology. No, in fact, we're getting to a point, and I'm on a rant, but let me finish, where we're getting what's called more and more complex. And complex societies have more vulnerabilities than things that are straight and simple. So as we go out in this 5G network, there's so many points of failure that may backfire on technology that the whole system is at risk. And that's actually the trend that we're making. We want things really simple. Look, I'm not like a super oil advocate, but we'd never be where we are without it. So I accept that and I use it every day. And I'm grateful that we are because there's nothing that has that unit volume with that much energy. Try flying an airplane on solar for crying out loud. That's mm. ridiculous. So yeah. we are in a world of hurt. And thanks for bringing that up because there's too many people out there that, you know, well, David, you're wrong. The efficiency of solar has gone up 30%. I'll go one more and I'll give it back to you, Bryce. I thought, well, look, there's not enough silver in the world to power the world by solar. But let's just suppose that we have infinite resources and only a finite amount of silver. How much of the planet could we uh, power under solar conditions? And let's take the efficiency up by 400%. 
Well, someone already wrote that article, so you can Google it. You know, uh, can solar power power the electrical needs of the of the planet or something along those lines? You'll find the article. So I didn't write okay. it. I just referred to it. But I'd love to see something that's uh, renewable that does what we need. It's not there yet. And the people that think that they know that it is, this whole green energy thing is, is misguided, well-meaning people that don't know the the facts. They're not engineers. Listen, politicians don't solve anything. They, they, you know, they really don't. They might articulate the problem, but none of them have the scientific background or the practical knowledge or a business acumen or anything that the real, you know, corporate world would have where they create something out of the availability of whatever exists and produce something. So I probably went too far there, but I'll tell you, it's a hot button for me because people do not understand how close we are to a whole redistribution of the wealth that exists. And that includes the food system, which you asked me about. Yeah. Yeah. And we're all, we're all digging deep on these conversations. So I appreciate you digressing. That's awesome. And, you know, from what I've seen about the energy industry, even things like wind power and solar power to actually create that you need to use oil and gas to create it anyway. So I don't see how it's sustainable. And then what you were referring to is the amount of silver that actually gets used in solar panels, because that's actually a big component. And that's something that, you know, on the technology side of things, we're using silver in solar panels, we're using it in photography, we're using it in technology and computers. And uh, the technology side is actually larger than in the investing side. And so when people lose their confidence in the US currency, and they use lose confidence in the stock market and other investments, they're going to go to silver. But And then also the technology, um, it still needs a certain amount of silver to produce all of these things. I mean, what's going to happen when everybody wants to go to silver? It doesn't seem like there's enough. It's going to explode. And you did another great job. It's going to sound like a setup, but we didn't really do a pre-interview. So we are at the first time in modern history where the investment demand in silver is equal to the industrial demand. And industrial demand is off about 10%, but round numbers, if you look at the World Silver Survey, they'll tell you that 60% of silver supply on an annual basis is used in industry. If you look at CPM group, it's less, you might call it 50%. In a normal year, there's only about 10% of the silver supply that's used as investment. The other 25% is used in uh, jewelry, and you have somewhere in, depending which study, 15% or so in silverware. So if you have investment demand that's equal to industrial demand, uh, you've really started to move the market. And we're there right now, we're just warming up. So we have this new base developing above 20, close to 25 as we're doing the interview, and that's gonna be a launching pad. And as you said, uh, and my take on it, I won't put words in your mouth, Bryce, is once the investment demand continues at the rate it's at and maybe accelerates, then Apple Computer isn't going to close down their ability to produce the iPhone 17 because they can't get silver. It might cost them $2 a phone right now in silver. That's the amount they use. It's a micro amount relative to a $1,000 price. So if it goes up tenfold and it's now $20, they'll pay it. If it goes up a hundred fold and it's $200, they still got a margin, it's a thousand dollar phone. So the industry is locked in for the amount they must have, unless there's a substitute, which I doubt, but it's possible and I wouldn't rule it out entirely. So there's gonna be a double bang, a double shotgun. There's gonna be something here that not only is the investment demand gonna take it far higher, and industry is gonna come in behind them most likely. There's a few that are thinking ahead but most won't and they'll come in and pay any price to get it. So now you're gonna have a bidding war between the investors and the industrial users, the silver users wanting the same commodity for two different purposes. And that's gonna take the price, I think, well beyond what most people expect. And so when investors and, and when technology companies are going for the physical silver and there's none left because the mines just can't produce any more, um, at least on the investment side, where do they go? They're, they're going to go to mining stocks? Where can they go? Yeah, yeah they'll go there because it'll, it's basically a warehouse of minerals in the ground that they have part ownership in. So it could get to the point, they could not would where let's say silver goes to a big number, let's lose $100. 
Well, the margin to be so high on some of these primary silver producers, they would probably pay out dividends. I mean, it could be what happened in the first bull market I was involved in in my, in my 20s, where in the South Africans, you could buy the stock at $20, and a decade later, your dividend was $20. I mean, it could be that astronomical, and you've got an asset in the ground that's appreciating in value. So will that happen? I don't know. Could it happen? Absolutely. And time will tell. So I think that's you know the, the point. I'll make it succinct. Yeah, they're going to go for as much silver as they can get that hasn't been mined yet. That's where they'll go. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, I actually, I was, I was lucky enough to have a little bit of an inside look at some mines. You know, before I got started as an investor, I used to be a welder. And so in Australia, I actually worked in the underground gold mines uh, and I was, I was doing welding there and I was fixing um, some trucks. And so basically what they had is they had these underground mining trucks that had an engine and then they had an engine in the trailer that was synchronized with the truck engine. And then they had another trailer and they were all synchronized together so that they could push these massive, massive loads, um, really heavy up out of the mines, out of the spiral and out to the top. And each of the trailers had a load capacity. I can't remember what it was. Let's just say, for example, it's 250 tons. Well, you know, if they overloaded it too much, then we had to do all the repairs and fix things up and everything like that. But the funny thing was with the, the mines between each other, the local mines in the area, the truck drivers had a bet going on with each other that who could, who could drag out the most product out of there would actually get 10 cartons of beer plus they'd get bragging rights for the next 12 months and so these boys were like some of them were almost double overloading the weight capacity and we were twisting trucks and having to cut trucks out and all that kind of stuff so that kept us busy and that was in the sweltering heat of about 120 degrees Fahrenheit in Western Australia. And then fast forward, I ended up working in some open cut coal mines in uh, British Columbia, Canada. And I ended up working in the top of the Rockies at like minus 40 and blizzards and snow. So, so it was pretty cool to get the inside there. But, you know, some fun facts about me working in the mines, but, you know, on mining and, and mining topic, that's something that you cover deeply in the Morgan Report. And you break into a lot of detail and you share your portfolio and it's something you've been studying for 40 years. What kind of research are you guys doing at the Morgan Report to dissect these mining companies? On the top tier, you can do it from you know my degree in finance. It really isn't that uh, hard because there's so much public information readily available. But in the type of mines that you're describing, we almost always go to the site itself and make our own analysis based on walking through the project. And that's really, really important on these smaller situations because the old adage seen is believing. So on almost all of the speculative side, we are actually there on the ground. We call it boots on the ground. Myself or David Smith, my senior analyst. Uh, again, on the mid-tier, once you're up into the $500 million, billion dollar companies, really you can do it from an armchair perspective. Uh, there's not really that much to look at. But on these smaller ones, you got to be very, very careful. And so we do that type of analysis. And as far as, you know, well, you should go see, you know, the portfolio that um, Newmont has, it's really not necessary. I mean, it's been in business for so long. If they do something accredited to the uh, overall portfolio by buying another mine or buying one out, usually it's something that's public domain information already. So there again, you can do a financial analysis and determine what they paid for gold in the ground and whether it was a good deal or not. So both hats, uh, really like doing them both. And just one comment on your comment. I mean, down in Argentina, I mean, it was nine hour drive to pass the Mina Marta mine. And anyone that knows mining knows where that is. I'm just throwing it out there. And nine hours on the road. So one vehicle come the other direction. Wow. And it was hot as all get out. And that's, you know, your typical mining situation. These places are very seldom in uh, very nice climates with uh, a lot of creature comforts. So these miners really have a pretty tough life to get minerals that everyone takes for granted. And even those people that are, you know, green, and I'm conservative. I mean, I think we should conserve the resource and use them up and repair them and use them again. I mean, that's what the conservative thinks. But nonetheless, there's a big price to pay for, you know, that iPhone and that car that you drive, or maybe Uber, 
that most people never account for unless they've done what you've done or seen what I've seen. And thanks for bringing that to our attention. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, on the, on the investment side of mining stocks, so sort of the theory is if we see mining stock, if we see physical silver increase 10 times, then mining stocks could potentially increase maybe 30 times, right? But then also if physical silver goes down, mining stocks would go down too. So it's, it's like a leveraged volatility, right? Absolutely. Perfect. It's usually a three to one on the upside and on the downside. And so, and so because we are in a silver, a secular silver bull run, it's pretty exciting. And it's, is, is it time for people to still get involved in mining stocks? I mean, how much time do we still have left to get involved in physical silver investments or get involved in mining stocks? I think there's plenty of time and it depends how you approach the market. There was uh, an interview I did, and I'll try to make this short, but there was an article in Forbes magazine years ago, and the guy was a professional trader, took a year off, looked at all his mistakes, and had a new strategy. It's called Take the Middle. So when the hunt started buying and bought basically a lot of physical and a lot of contracts, and the public caught on to the silver story, they started running the price parabolic. This guy got in at 15 and out at 35, and I still haven't checked the charts price, but it probably was about a six-day trade. And he made millions and he wow. retired. And he came home and told his wife, we're out. And she's, you know, living with a commodities trader. And we're out. Well, out means we finished that, you know, that investment. And there's another one yeah. we got to find a study. To. He goes, no, no, we're out. We are done. I've wow. accomplished our goal. We are financially free and it's done. I'm never going back into the futures market. So that was a way to approach that market. So I did an interview for um, another um uh, podcast, we'll call it, <clears throat> about that. So I'm not recommending that. I'm not suggesting that. What I'm trying to do is give you a little bit of background on how much of the market I've looked at and for how long and what the opportunities are. So it depends, again, how you approach it. You know, I mean, if you approach a horse race and say, you know, I'm only betting on this race because that's the most sure thing I know of and let the other eight, nine, 10 races go by, that's your approach. There might be someone else that, that's able to hedge every race and you know, wins six out of 10 and makes money. I mean, there's lots of ways to approach the market. Again, I'm not suggesting that's the way they do this particular one, but going back to the beginning of the interview, you know, I took my approach, which I'm a position trader, more of a long-term, and I let the market tell me it was going above 19. And once it did, I'm just going to keep moving my stop up. And I saw it was getting toppy at 48. And I, I said, that's enough. I'm not that greedy. Turned out to be enough strength in the market to off our positions. And a few days later, uh, the market started coming down. So again, that was you know many weeks, but still uh, sufficient enough to make I had people retire. I mean, I had people that yeah. wrote me these thank you letters and said, you know what? I had two years left at university as a professor. And I'm going to finish it off, but basically I'm done. You know, I am so thankful to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Of course, that's the uh, the pat on the back. And then, of course, you get the uh, stabs in the heart because, you know, people don't know all markets go up and down for how long. And I was wrong. I thought the, the correction that silver took place, I did call the top. So this is it. Let's get out. I didn't say with everything that it would correct. And I really felt at the time, it'd be two, maybe three years at the most. And I was wrong. It took a lot longer than that. But we've built such a strong base now, and we see investors coming back in the silver market stronger than ever. We've got a long ways, a lot of upside yeah. And so what David's referring to is in the Morgan report, he actually, you know, shares his portfolio on mining stocks and he gives sort of sell alerts and, and buy alerts and, um, you know, basically gives a lot of in-depth in information about where we're heading. So if we're look at, if we're going to look at this as at a whole, um, I still personally think, and, you know, I'm not a financial advisor, attorney or CPA. I'm just telling people what I'm interested in doing. I'm, I'm pretty bullish on buying silver right now and, 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 mining stocks as well. Where do you think, if you were to look into the future, that we're going to hit the top? I mean, is it going to be six months, three years, 10 years? What's what's your ballpark prediction? Yeah, I think about three. Usually, as I said, the biggest move comes in the shortest amount of time. Normally, it's you know round numbers, 10%, but you can't hold it to any percentage. No one knows. But the market's been about 20 years old in gold. 
It started in 2000. Silver actually didn't start a bull market until September 2003. So that's 17 years or rough numbers. So if you add 10%, you're looking at 1.7 years, round it up to two, give it a little edge, maybe three. But I doubt we're going much further than that. You see the destruction in the currency taking place literally day after day with the bond market suggesting they may have topped. And you've got this digital central bank digital currency being floated around all over the place with a call for a new Bretton Woods from the IMF. So there's lots of clues or actually not even clues. There's clear uh, warnings right in front of your eyes if you have eyes to see where we're going. So I think you should be on board now. And again, I think probably if I was going to put a, a hard number, David, oh, I'd say two years, but we'll see. Two years, yeah. So, and it's it's we're, we're coming up on the time of when you know we won't have like an infinite amount of time to get involved in all this to ride it to the top. So, um, and and for all of you listening, I highly recommend the um, the Morgan Report because David and his team have seriously been putting like forty years of 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 knowledge and research and deep research. I mean, I'm talking like deep research these guys are doing and then you guys can leverage off that and do your own research if you want to as well. And um, so how do you see the presidential election uh, affecting our future? And and I will note that right now it is October 23rd. So we're just before the decision has actually been made, but how do you see this affecting our economic outcome over the next 12 months? Tough one. I'm going to skirt the question slightly. I was asked in Canada on a, a closed circuit TV, not a public broadcast, about what about Trump? This was before that election. And she asked me, the interview asked me, well, what would happen if Trump were elected? What would it do to the economy? And I said, not that much. Uh, if Trump is elected, it's being on the deck of the Titanic. There'll be livelier music. They'll bring steerage up to first class. They will give out free drinks and everyone will feel very, very happy. But the ship's still going down. Mm -hmm. So I'll adhere to that same statement. Uh, I'm not uh, affiliated with either of the political parties. I see the left-right paradigm as more of a mind control mechanism. Sorry for being so bold. I do. It's the left wing and the right wing attached to the same bird. And that bird's flying down the the banker canal. Uh, sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly, sometimes up and sometimes down, sometimes left and sometimes right to, uh, let's say, persuade the propagandists that uh, there's some difference. But really, it's not. Not yeah. in the big picture. It's just going down. They're ships sinking. Yeah. So we have an opportunity in that um, it's, it's not all doom and gloom. We have an opportunity to position ourselves. So when the sink, when the sink ships, I just said that wrong. When the ship sinks, we're actually going, we could be in a position to benefit ourselves, protect ourselves. And that's why we're talking about silver and mining stocks. And we could even get involved in other things like crypto. Um, is there any other types of investments that you're pretty keen on right now that puts you in a position of a little bit more safety and protection? Well, I still like the energy sector. I just haven't found anything that I like enough yet to put it as a formal recommendation. I haven't bought it, put the model portfolio yet. I also like uh, the rare earths. I haven't written about them in a long time, although I was one of the first. I think this graphene thing uh, has a lot of potential in the future. But right now, you know, I go by what the market says. The market's very clear that it's gold and silver time being. Copper could prove interesting, but my basic premise hasn't changed. And that is there's an overall global contraction going on, non-expansion. And with the food supply shortages I see coming imminently, I think we have more problems uh, than we might account for during this interview in the not too distant future. And that will curtail a lot of economic activity on top of what's already curtailed by the supply chain breakdown. So hate to sound too gloomy. I'm a realist. It's not the end of the world. And believe me, there's lots of opportunities in these situations. There were a lot of millionaires in the 30s under the Great Depression. So really, you got to just put on your thinking hat and look at what is needed, not what is wanted. We're shifting from, again, that metaphor I made about what's above the ground as being one of the best investments you can make for the last several decades to what's under the ground. As a metaphor, it's what do we need? What do you do when you're 
you know, restricted to a 50 mile radius of your home? What, what would be needed the most or wanted the most in those conditions? Um, what do you do if you're so used to going out to eat or a drive through that you can only do it uh, one day a week or whatever? So there's lots of opportunities in a crisis situation for people to actually um, use their gray matter, think it through and find something that will benefit not only themselves, but society at large. So I'm not all that gloomy. I am realistic about it, but I think we're going to see some big shifts. And I think the millennials actually have some, uh, I have to, so I'm a bit biased. The, uh, they see what's really going on. They might not have uh, digested it totally, not that any of us have, but they realize that the idea that their lifestyle will be equal to or better than their parents is probably not going to take place. So they're yeah. very willing to accept that and see what is more valuable. As a quick example, you know, my daughters are more into the experience than owning something. I mean, they'd rather take a hike in Yosemite with their money than to buy the greatest handbag that they can afford. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I have to agree with you on the fact that, you know, of, of course, we're talking about some doom and gloom stuff, but we're bringing this up because it's happening and we need to know what our environment it is. Because once we know what our environment is, then we can make an accurate decision on what we're going to do. And um, I really agree that, you know, people are going to have a lot of needs. People have needs now and certain needs are going to increase. So if we can provide massive value in those areas, um, you know, we can help a lot of people and we can be profitable along the way. And it doesn't have to all uh, be financial profit. It's sometimes it's just good to help people. Something that I think is really important right now, and I've been talking about this for quite a while, and that is food. And I just, you know, the, the supply chains got screwed up in the beginning of the year with the lockdowns and everything, but it goes much deeper than that. And and you've actually shared some information with me, you know, with the Ice Age Farmer and things that are happening in Germany and Australia. So can you can you just what are you seeing out there in the world with food right now? And and what should we be a little bit concerned about? We should be concerned with the supply. And it's not just the shutdown, as you stated. It's Mother Nature. It's the amount of flooding that's taking place on a global basis and a lot of plantings that weren't able to mature or be harvested. So there's going to be a crunch in, in the food supply on a global basis. I think the U.S., which is a net exporter of food, uh, probably will be okay, but that's just basis food per capita, how much you know, corn there is per person in the United States. That has nothing to do with your ability to eat because it's a monetary system, which means as long as you have enough money, you can probably eat. And uh, you know, it's just a sad reality. I mean, you asked, I'll give you a straight answer. I don't see um, I don't see it being rectified very easily either. So there's a big shift going on there, and unfortunately, there's not a lot of solutions. One solution, which I'll give you, which is very illustrative of the point, was back when the collapse of the USSR. When that took place, a lot of North Korea starved to death because they were totally dependent on the Soviets to supply them with food. Cuba was also under control, but Cuba took a different approach. And they said, well, it's all community property. And anywhere that there's land, it's your land. And you just grow whatever you can grow. And so everybody started farming almost the next day. And they had basically an abundance of food and were healthier than they'd been in a long time. So it was the same problem with two different solutions. And so I want to give that as, a, as an idea of encouragement, because sometimes we become too dependent on, let's say, the system and not dependent upon our own resources and our own independence. When the idea or the, the solution is actually right there in front of us. Yeah, it's work. It takes time to grow food. And it's a community activity, too, which actually is one of those social interactions with meaning in my book. I'm not a big social media guy. I'm on it. I use it. I understand it somewhat. But a real community is that community garden, you know, where you're in there a couple hours a day and then days you can't, you know, the neighbor kids are in there and you're taking care of, of the food supply for your community and everybody pitches in and does what they can. So I want to leave it on that happy note because it's a not a metaphor. It's not an analogy. It's an absolute fact of that problem and how there were two different solutions, one that works and one that didn't work. 
Yeah, and I think that whole local thing is is super huge. I just think with everything that happened with the lockdowns and the effects of um, the forced effects of COVID, if we had local systems where all everything was supplied locally, we wouldn't have really got hit that bad. And so I think that's a pretty interesting concept. And I think that's where things are going to be going in the very near future. Um, and on, you know, within the Silver Manifesto, you know, I'm in the early stages of reading this. I think I'm at chapter two, but I was I was reading into the monetary history, history, history section that you have in the beginning here. And there was a, a section that I highlighted and it's talking about uh, the systemic crash of 1345. And it says the results were extreme poverty and famine among the masses. The recipe for a wave of epidemics due to the immune system becoming substantially weakened. And it was known as a black plague. And, um, and that was actually a fractional reserve banking induced um, crash back in uh, 1345. And I just thought, you know, I'm not saying that's what's happening now, but I just thought, wow, that's kind of like a little bit relevant to what's happening right now. And and I just wonder how much that's tied in together. But but anyway, it's, it's what we can do is we can take control of our future and we can, can take control of what we can do now to make sure that we've got food reserves. And I know some people think that that's hoarding and, and they may not think it's the best idea, but I certainly think that it can't hurt. And at the end of the day, if you stored a little bit of food or start a growing your own food, you're only going to be healthier by growing your own food. And if you store some, I mean, have a party in two years if you don't have to use it, and then you can cook up some food and, and have some friends over. Um, but so what does, with all of the experiences that you have and everything you've got going on, what does the ultimate freedom lifestyle look like for you? Wow, great. Uh, well, I think the number one, you know, because we are in a monetary system and there's really no escape is to be debt free. So that way, at some point in your life, you want to be where you, you know, even a real estate investor, like I don't have to borrow anything to, you know, purchase more land or more, you know, improved property. So I think that's number one. I think that's a big freedom for me is to be debt free. That's, a, that's you're one step removed out of the banking system. You still have to be in it to interact, but uh, if you don't owe them anything, that's a very big idea of freedom. A lot of, not a lot, but a fair amount of Americans and other people in other parts of the world, you know, when they pay off that 30-year mortgage or 20-year mortgage, they have a mortgage burning property. There's this big sense of relief, you know, it's an emotional thing. It's like, wow, we own our house, you know, it's paid for. I'd say that's number one. Number two, of course, gets into a lot of other ones that uh, are right in our face right now. I mean, freedom of speech, paramount, absolutely, mm. and it's been taken away. Uh, I did a one of my best, in my view, and most I say best by the market. The market has watched this video probably more than anyone else I've produced, and the others I've produced, and it's called Myths in the Silver Market. And in that Myths in the Silver Market, the first myth is about everyone should own a little because not everyone can and not everyone will. But after I do that, which is half the video, the other half is about what's more important than that, and that's freedom. And so if you audience or you might link it in the show notes, it'd be appreciative of that. I will, yeah. It will talk about freedom and why that's more important because you can have all the money in the world. But as we talked at the very beginning, Bryce, Financial freedom used to mean freedom. Financial freedom now doesn't necessarily mean that. It means, you know, you're controlled by what you think, do, and say. And if you don't abide by the party line, you may have a lot of money, but you can't use it. You can't buy that luxury, you know, you can't buy a flight. You can't get a luxury hotel. You can't buy the luxury car. You basically, it does, it's meaningless to have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And this is the case in China right now. So that is, I think probably more important than being debt-free, but as far as you ask me personally, so on a personal level, being debt-free means a lot, but losing the freedom of speech, and I'm in the business of free speech. I mean, there have been challenges in my industry several times in the past, and we, meaning the newsletter industry, has always won, and won for one reason only, and that's freedom of speech. I'm allowed to write my opinion, and people are allowed to give me something in exchange for my ideas because they find them valuable, and I cannot be restricted by what my thoughts are. I'm allowed to put them down on a piece of paper and now electronically on a PDF file and share them with others that are appreciative of my insights and perhaps will benefit them either financially, morally, spiritually, uh, physically, or any other realm. 
And this hasn't been challenged in a long time, but yet at the same time, uh, interview, you know, there's a lot of channels of friends of mine that have been taken down recently because they weren't along the party lines and they were called community guidelines have been validated with no more of an explanation than that. Their channels were taken off. So this is very, very sad in my view. Yeah, yeah. Very important topic right now. Um, so for those people, I, I actually want to um, bring it up to a bit of a high note right now, because okay. for, for, our, for our freedom hackers out there, we've actually got a special offer right now. So, you know, for those of you out there that are pretty interested in this silver movement and taking advantage of this secular bull run for the next few years, I mean, I can't rec- uh, recommend enough being part of the Morgan Report. I mean, that way you can leverage 40 years of experience and research. And David's got a whole team working behind the scenes to produce this for you and they put a lot into this. And, um, you know, so for, for you guys who want to take advantage of that, um, you can sign up to the Morgan Report. And for the first four of you that sign up for the Morgan Report, uh, David and I are going to give you a free copy of the Silver Manifesto. So all you have to do is just reach out to uh, David and his team once you sign up and then just re- a reference Freedom Hack Radio. And then David and his team will send out a free copy of the Silver Manifesto for all of you guys out there and then also i just want to touch on a couple of things before we wrap it up here mate you you're also involved in a cryptocurrency that's that's actually backed by gold and silver do you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah i will be brief uh the best way to get there is just go to the url it's ag which is the symbol for silver uh ag.load l-o-d-e dot one o-n-e and uh we we, I'm involved, as I just said, uh, so I'm somewhat biased. But this cryptocurrency that's backed by silver and gold has done a lot of, I think, very good videos. And it's interesting that we're ending on this idea. One of the first uh, videos that you should watch has to do with freedom and monetary freedom. And this cryptocurrency, I think, will start to become more and more popular as uh, we move through, through time because it's a very convenient way, especially for the millennial generation that grew up with the cell phone in their face, to transact in physical silver without ever having to touch it, although they could. Uh, the uh, app allows them or the system allows them to take you know, possession physically mailed to their house or office or whatever. But a lot of people in my generation are concerned about, geez, I, I really got into what Bryce said. I think I should buy some. I guess I could buy it through load or through my broker dealer or over the internet. But what do I do with it? I get that all the time. Well, if you're in a system like load, you spend it. You buy that silver at $22 an ounce. And when it's you know $86 an ounce, your food prices really haven't gone up. You've secured mm-hmm. a, a way for you to make future purpose purchases by hedging the position of where the monetary system's going. It's not that silver really went up from you know, 26 to 86, it's that the currency has become worth one quarter of what it used to. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's really cool that there's a cryptocurrency out there that is actually backed by that. That's great. That's great. And um, so for people who want to keep in touch with you, for people who want to get involved in the Morgan Report, find out, you know, catch up with your videos and whatnot, what's the best way for people to reach out and stay in touch? Yeah, the best way is go to the main landing page. It's themorganreport.com. And there's a few services. One is free, and that's what I call the newsletter. So all I need is a first name and an email address. And all the videos that I do like this, uh, lectures, sometimes uh, bonus material. I will sometimes answer questions. Sometimes they're free webinars. All that stuff is just for free. If you are inclined to see the model portfolio that you referenced, then that's the paid report side, and that's the Morgan Report. So there's the Morgan Report free side, which is just you know uh, a lot of valuable information to a, a one-on-many podcast every week, talking about the financial system at large, and I usually end with the precious metals. And I was talking about the contraction of the economy well before this uh, crisis hit. I was talking about a food crisis well before it became uh, public knowledge. And so I'm usually a bit ahead of the curve. I am a bit of a visionary. 
And I do have a heart of hearts. I really do want to help people in all walks of life, whether they have money to invest or not. That's awesome. So that's uh, themorganreport.com. We're going to have links in the show notes here, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on your favorite podcast platform. Um, It's been an absolute, absolute pleasure to have you here. You're a wealth of knowledge. I know I personally am getting tons out of reading your books and being part of the Morgan Report and watching your videos. I mean, some of it's over my head and I'm really like digging in deep and learning a lot, but you know, you are providing information to hedge funds and everything like that too. So really, it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, David's Morgan Report can really accommodate to you. So thank you very much for all of your knowledge. Thank you so much, so much for your time today, for being authentic and vulnerable and, and providing so much value here. Is there any final thoughts that you wanted to leave us with? Yeah, I'll give one I've never done before publicly. Um, random act of kindness. Random act of kindness. I'll just shoot one out. It's not, it's, you know, supposed to do this and not take any credit whatsoever. In other words, you do something and not get caught doing it. You know, if that means bringing your mail in for your neighbor that's uh, handicapped or something or elderly and can't walk to the mailbox very easily. So you just take the mail, you bring it up to the front porch and you drop it off on them and ring the doorbell and say, have a nice day and hand it to them. That's a very, very small idea. I recently was in a uh, restaurant mask on mask off and there's a gentleman there and i asked the waitress um could i buy him a meal and she said well sure i go do you know what he orders she said yeah he usually orders the same thing every time someone i didn't know whatsoever and i said well this will cover it plus a tip for that and don't tell him that i did it and i don't know this guy but it just looked like he'd probably seen better days mm-hmm. and uh so i did that and so that's just an example i'm not saying everyone should do it the other one I've done in the past is like at a Starbucks drive through I'm not a big Starbucks fan, but I admit I go there sometimes. And I'll get up to the window and I say, whatever the car behind me is, I don't care what size the order is, how much was it, it was that much, I'll pay her. When they get to the window, I just like you to tell them that it's on me and make a great day. So that's it. That's Let's awesome. do a random act of kindness for those that are willing to. It's volunteer. Voluntarily do it or don't. But he asked me for something. I thought, you know, you've been so good to me, giving me your time and some very in-depth questions and responses have been very thoughtful, mindful, and pertinent. So I want to reflect back to you. So try it. It makes you feel good. Beautiful. You've inspired me. Yeah, that, that's, that's excellent. And I'd love to lead on, leave on that note. So once again, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, this is Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. And until next week, live large and live free.